This is Women's Leadership Success, podcast number 110. Who is the one key player who can have the most significant impact on your career? Do you want to know what day-to-day experience can change a woman's career path? Would you like to learn the small differences that leadership can make that will empower women in your workplace? If you really want to know or help your male boss know how to learn the simple secrets to creating gender equity in your workplace and enhance your career development, then you've got to listen to this tip-filled interview. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast, showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life. No matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur, join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. Hello, dear friends and listeners. As you may have noticed, I have not been publishing my show regularly. Why? Lots of reasons. COVID, isolation, and the death of a close friend. Things I'm sure that you know about in your own life. I want to apologize for the gap and tell you I have my mojo back. I am recommitting to bringing you useful information that will help you and your coworkers advance your careers and leadership. I really want to hear from you. Let me know what you need help with and what questions you might have. Please make your comments and ask questions in the blog section on the bottom of my show notes at womensleadershipsuccess.com. Many thanks. Take care. Hello, this is Sabrina Brahm with womensleadershipsuccess.com. And today I have the great pleasure to talk to Kate Eberly Walker, who is the author of the book, The Good Boss. And um, Kate has a very interesting background. Right now, she's the CEO of the Present Present Learning Company. Is that correct, Kate? Presence Learning. Yeah, Presence, Presence Learning. Sorry. Yep. And no but you have such an interesting background. You're in management now, but you've you've kind of been out in the trenches. So, can you tell us a little bit about that part? Yeah, yeah. I I started my career in finance on Wall Street. So uh, I studied finance in college and then I went to work at Goldman Sachs and spent five years as an investment banker uh, and then went to business school at Harvard. And it was really after that that I set set off on my path into the education sector, Um, honestly, kind of by accident. I went to work for one of my favorite clients that I had when I was in banking, the Washington Post Company. I worked with a lot of newspaper publishers and I really loved newspapers. And I thought that was the sector that I was destined to work in. So after business school, I went to work for the Washington Post newspaper, uh, selling advertising. And it was a really hard job. I learned a lot, but about six months in, I went back to the corporate team and kind of said, is there is there anything else I could do for you that, that might be more, more suited to my skills? And they said, you know, we're actually really busy doing m 
M&A and investing over at Kaplan, our education business, maybe they could borrow you for a little while. So, so that's how I got into education. And I, I went over to Kaplan where I ended up spending over nine years uh, kind of studying all types of education business models and making lots of acquisitions. Great. Um, yeah. So your, your book is really well written. And one of the things as I read it that I was thinking, well, this book is it's called The Good Boss and How You Find a Good Boss, basically, mm-hmm. nine ways every manager can support women at work. It's for, it's for the bosses, but it's also really good for anyone, women to read, anybody they mm-hmm. know. It's, it's, it's got, it really it captures so many angles. Um, and I'd like you to tell us some of the difference between ideal work and what women actually experience. And, you know, you would think, well, we all would know that, but I think the extent of what we're dealing with is not really, um, we don't all comprehend that. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Yes. There's a lot of unseen work that women are doing. Uh, I call it, you know, the work they have to do to have their work be seen and accepted and valued. And I I realized at some point in my career that I was spending a lot of time not just doing the work itself, but thinking about what I said and how I said it and how I wrote an email and what I wore and what tone I spoke in and, and so on. And I spent a lot of time talking to other women about uh, you know, who they were working with and how they, you know, ha- how they found people best to deal with or what you needed to do to impress them. And so we, we spent a lot of time as women, um, I think, working and maneuvering to, to have our work be seen and, and valued. And I definitely realized at some point along the way that my male colleagues weren't necessarily doing all of it. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's the biggest difference. So that when you say they weren't doing it, doing what? They weren't? They weren't thinking, they weren't spending so much time thinking about how they said things or, or, you know, carefully writing emails and editing emails. They weren't, um, you know, kind of going, going around, kind of circling around a topic to ask without being too direct in asking, you know, sort of the, 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 the couching of, of the work and how they said it is a thing that, that, you know, many men look at me and really don't know what I'm talking about, but many women are like, oh yes, this is, I spend so much time doing those things. And what's the fatal flaw in doing that? What's, how does that affect what we do. Yeah. I think there's two, there's two fatal flaws. One, one is just the more time you spend thinking about all of those things, the less time you actually have to do the substantive work. So I think it, you know, takes, takes energy and effort, uh, away from, you know, channeling it fully into the, into the work that's going to move you forward and advance you in your career. I think the other fatal flaw is that it's really frustrating and it can wear a woman down in terms of her, her feeling and perspective about, uh, the work and how hard it is or whether or not it's worth it or whether or not she feels welcome. It can, you know, even very small things that you have to put that extra effort into, um, or, you know, times that you get sort of, you know, swiped back because you say something in the right way. I, I think, you know, every little one of those builds up over the course of a career and it can make it harder and harder to, to stay positive. 
So is there a way out? Is there a common thread of women that get out of this way of doing things that seems to be useful or helpful? I think, well, well, I wrote this book thinking that, you know, to really find a way out of this, we have to teach the managers and the leaders. We have, it's, it's the people who are receiving this work and receiving the messages that need to be aware of all these differences and they need to adapt the way they ask for things or the way they give feedback or the way they, they respond to things so that women don't feel that they have to do so much maneuvering. I, I think that's the real answer is you've got to change change the environment, you've got to change it from the top. Um, Because the, you know, the other way out of it, the way that I found out of it was to get to the top. So, you know, it really was, I, you know, I worked in that way for, you know, the first couple decades of my career and, and I had success. I think I probably had to work harder for it, but I pushed through, I pushed my way up. And then once I was in a senior position, that's when I really realized, oh, wow, once, you know, you, you can set the tone in so many ways once you're in the C-suite. And, uh, you know, I think many women who reach the C-suite, realize that and think about it and really try to be thoughtful in paying it forward to the next generation of women. But it just struck me. There's, uh, you know, there's only so many women in the C-suite. We're in the minority there by far. So we've got to get everybody in those leadership levels, especially the men changing, changing the way that they, that they manage women. Um, so that will make a huge difference in how women function, just having Having good bosses, um, especially good male bosses that understand how how to treat women. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to ask you about, you have nine rules. They're all super, super good, but we don't have time to, to go through <laughs> all of those, needless to say. Um, can you, would you start with just four of them? Tell us about, call, call her by name. Um, you know, I, I made the note here that I almost skipped that chapter. It was like, oh, well, mm-hmm. that's, that's obvious. And then when I read it, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is much worse than I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, this chapter is a funny one. I mean, I put it first for a reason. It's, it seems basic. It seems simple. Uh, The rule is call her by her name. And it really is about getting a woman's name right and calling her by what she asks to be called. And as I wrote this chapter at first, I thought, I'm not sure that this is a chapter. Maybe maybe this is a magazine article or something. (laughs) Um, And I, I kept writing and thinking of like more points to make. And it actually became the long, not just a chapter, but the longest chapter in the book because you have to think about uh, you know pronouncing a name correctly spelling it correctly not assuming a nickname you know people call me Katie all the time which can be you know diminutive diminishing that and it's not the name that that I gave them it's not my name Um, very distracting when someone you know doesn't get your name right it kind of you know implies or conveys that they don't really respect that they don't care enough to listen and learn and remember your name and the interesting thing when I dug into the data is that it does happen more often to women than to men so it's um, you know it's not just that you know everybody should get everybody's names right it's that it does more often than not happen to women. Uh, and then you get into whole other areas such as uh, how people how people respond when a woman gets married and changes her name or doesn't change her name, uh, calling women 
professors and doctors by their first name instead of by their last name. Uh, I could go on. We could spend the whole hour talking about about you know microaggressions around naming, but um, this this one has been maybe the most fun to hear the responses to. Now that the book is out, uh, every woman has stories about this, about a time that someone called her honey or darling and how it made her feel. I mean, th- this is something that I, I think every woman can relate or to. sweetheart. Mm-hmm. And is there a good way to respond to that when that happens to you? I think that, I mean, I, I'm always putting the burden on the more senior people in the room, on the managers, on the leaders. And I do think it is always way easier for a manager to say something to a person to, you know, I I always go out of my way to correct people when I hear them say somebody else's name wrong. Um, Or I make a point of talking to somebody if I hear something like a honey or a sweetie or something like that. Um, So I I do think managers should take responsibility for it because it's, it, it can be awkward or uncomfortable to correct people. A lot of women that I talked to about this say that they'll, you know, very politely, matter-of-factly make a correction once, but they typically decide not to keep correcting if a person continues to get their name wrong. Um, and, and so, you know, they start to, the burden starts to be on them. I mean, it's somebody else who hasn't listened and hasn't remembered the name, but, you know, it's the woman who's left feeling every time, like, should, should I say something? I don't want to seem too difficult. So um, it's, it's hard. It's hard. I don't have a great, a great foolproof way for, for someone to, you know, continuously correct somebody who's getting, getting her name wrong. I think mm-hmm. that others, should be on the lookout for it and, and, you know, push people to get it right. Are you a manager, C-level executive, or a business owner who wants to advance your career, increase your earnings, or improve retention and team performance? As one of my loyal listeners, I have a gift for you that has helped countless women and men that you will love. For almost 30 years, I've been dedicated to helping women just like you radically improve their careers and earnings with incredible results. What I have discovered over all these years that all, is that all successful women leaders know their current leadership level and areas to focus on to advance. So here's my gift to you, a simple tool that will help you advance your leadership and confidence in your career and business that takes less than four minutes and it's free. It's fast and easy, and yet thorough quiz to finding your current leadership levels in the five proven areas all successful leaders develop to advance their careers faster, earn more money, and have the most successful businesses. And when you take the quiz, you will automatically get your current score in these five critical career and leadership areas. Plus, if you qualify, I have three spots open for a free executive coaching session with me that will help you improve your leadership score, capacity, confidence, and success. Just go to careerdevelopmentquiz.com today and start moving to more success right away. Rule number two is be someone she can relate to. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is this is one that really does apply, I think, to all managers, all genders. I think, you know, the best managers, the best bosses 
really are authentic and human and they're, you know, they're open about who they are and what they care about. And they really care about the people who work for them. Um, I, the reason that I put it in this book about how to support women, how to manage women is that I think too often when you have a male manager of a female, they get awkward or they get uncomfortable or hesitant to bring the personal into building a relationship with women on their teams. And I think it's really important to do it. One of the things that I talk about in the book and that I really recommend is to connect with your employees on social media. I think it's a really great way to, you know, let them share and share about yourself and, you know, what else you've got going on outside of the workplace. Cause I think that all of those, all of those things factor into, you know, why someone works and, and why they care. And, and do they, they've got to know that you care about who they are as people too. Um, and, and I think that, you know, managers often can, you know, you don't necessarily want to impose it on people. You don't want to make them feel like they have to be your Facebook friend uh, if they don't want to, but you want to always invite it and you want to make sure they know that you're interested in whatever they want to share. Nice. So rule number eight, which you Uh, say is maybe, maybe the most important lesson for women to learn, be an equal opportunity asshole. Yeah. (laughs) I, you know, when I reflect back on my career, a couple of my most important bosses who really pushed me forward were, uh, were not the nicest guys. Um, but what I appreciated about them then, and even more so with reflection is that they were always honest with me. And they told me what I wasn't doing well or what I could do better. I mean, I got, I got, real feedback and it made me better and it pushed me and it challenged me and they didn't treat me any differently than they treated the guys on the team. I mean, it it doesn't feel good as a woman to feel like you're getting the kind of chivalry treatment over here. And then you watch the, you know, your male colleagues and peers be, be pushed harder, given a harder time. I mean, you want, you want to know that, you know, your boss thinks that, that you can live up to those same standards. And Mm -hmm. so uh, it's, you know, being nice is not always the best thing as a manager. I think it's better to be honest. Um, now, if we could all be perfectly honest and kind about it, and um, you know that that would be ideal. I'm not necessarily, <laughs> you know, encouraging everyone to go out and become an asshole. But if that's if that's who you are and how you manage, is you give people a harder time and you're tough as a boss, I do think it's it's really valuable to you know hold yourself to being equally tough on the women. Uh huh. And number rule number nine, tell her that you see her potential. Yeah. So, so with women, you know, the, people often talk about a confidence gap and interpret it, you know, in a way that suggests that if women, if women just had more confidence, if they believed in themselves, they, you know, they could accomplish so much more and they could succeed. And I I don't buy into that. And when I researched this and really looked at the data, I didn't find that women have a confidence problem. It's in in that, you know, it's, it's not that there are a bunch of women sitting out there not feeling like they can do it or not feeling like they have the, you know, the talent or the abilities. It's a, it's a perception gap is more what I see where women don't, necessarily know or believe that their managers think they can do it. And uh, there's, to me, a really easy way to address that, which is managers can tell them, uh, you know, women, women are more likely to, to underrate their 
managers' views of, of them, you know, in performance reviews. They, they think their managers think less of them than they really do, if that makes sense. And so I think managers should try to proactively correct that by being really forthcoming and pointing out, you know, what a woman's doing well, what you think she can do more of, what, you know, what you see as her next job and the job after that. That is something really important that people I worked for did for me. And, you know, they could, they could envision the next steps for me and it helped me picture it then too. And it helped me really believe that, yeah, I had, that I could do it and that I could pursue those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it, it brings up something else. It's, um, and that is how can bosses encourage women to speak up more? It seems like that's one of the things I hear in my coaching is mm-hmm. that uh, women are not speaking up. Do you have a suggestion for that? I think that a lot can be accomplished by by really actively managing the discussions in the the meetings that you're having in your company. When you leave things to, you know, an open field, open group, everybody just jump in Mm -hmm. and say what you're thinking. These are the times that some women get sidelined. You know, Mm -hmm. they're, they're not as quick to jump in or their voice isn't as loud and they get talked over or it's just not in their nature. I mean, I, I do think it's, it's a generalization, but I think the women more than the men on my teams have a tendency in their listening and conversational style to look for cues from others. And so, you know, they're just less likely to jump in over someone and start talking. They're going to, you know, sort of look and see if they have the floor and then continue. So if you're, if you want to equalize that and take out some of those style differences that disadvantage women as a leader, I think, you know, you can run a meeting where you're, you know, almost calling on people as if it's a classroom and giving everybody a chance to speak or looking for some of those nonverbal cues. You know, I think you can, you can tell when somebody wants to say something and, you know, if they're leaning in, or if you see that expression on their face, like you be the one as the leader who typically can more easily grab the floor to, you know, say, Sabrina, did you have something that you wanted to add Mm -hmm. here? And I think that doing small, small things like that to moderate a conversation can, can ensure that more voices are included. And if you don't have a good boss now, how do you find one? If you need a good boss and you don't have one, I think there's there's some things that you can do as an employee. I think you you know you want to you want to look like somebody that people want to invest in. You want to get noticed, so to speak, right? So uh-huh. I think there there is some truth to that sort of maybe you know maybe age old advice of you know if if you want a good boss, if you want to get ahead, do a good job, um, and you know do do your work and and show that you're dedicated to your work. So I think that there is there is a lot of truth to that, that, you know, you'll, you'll demonstrate to, to the good bosses out there that you're worth investing in and you're worth um, spending the time with giving the feedback to. So I think that's number one. I think it's important to engage with and communicate with and talk with people beyond just your direct manager in your company. I think, you know, showing that you're curious and, and want to learn and want opportunities there's a, if there's a context where you can volunteer to 
join a project or, or join a team effort, do it, you know, get, build your relationships um, with others and, uh, and, you know, get your ideas out there and let them be heard. One, one thing that I don't recommend that is often a mistake people make is to, you know, go explicitly ask to change bosses or to, you know, I, I wouldn't make it about, um, I wouldn't turn it into an HR problem. I wouldn't make it about, you know, the problems that you have with your current boss. I would stay focused focused on expressing what you're looking for and what you want to learn and new experiences that you want to try and, you know, try to get found and discovered by, by someone else that will want you on your team. People won't necessarily want somebody that is, um, you know, sort of down talking another, their current manager. That's, that's really important. I agree. Um, and what's the best way to show appreciation if you, if, if you have a good boss or a good mentor? I think giving them a good reference when they're when they're trying to hire somebody new. I, I just had somebody do this for me. There, there was a guy who who worked with me for years. Um, we, we had a great working relationship, and I was recently hiring someone into a very similar kind of role. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to him and you know said, "Hey Phil, can you talk to Chirag? I, I really want him to come here. I think he'd really benefit from hearing from you what it was like to work." for me. And, you know, he said, absolutely, I'll do that. And he had a, whatever he said in that conversation, you know, I then successfully was able to hire this person that I wanted to hire and bring in and have him be excited to come work for me. And that was all thanks to a good positive reference from somebody who thought I was a good boss. So I think that, you know, spreading, spreading the word and, and giving those references is probably the ultimate way to show your appreciation. Really nice. And um, maybe a copy of your book too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would. There's so many good suggestions in there. Um, how can you help? How can we help men become our allies? I think give first give men the benefit of the doubt. You know, assume that they want to participate in supporting women and that they, you know, they have the interests of, of the women in their workplace at heart, because I, I do think that's true. I think, you know, so many men over my career have come to me really genuinely asking for advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it starts there with, you know, assuming the good of the intentions. Uh, and then I think it, well, you know, give, give them my book. I think they should read the book <laughs> and educate themselves. Yes. Um, but really, you know, the, the approach of my book and what I think is important in engaging male allies is that what I'm trying to do with it is show them in stories, this is the experience of women. You know, I think it's really important for men to understand what's different, why it's different, what really happens, how are women perceiving the workplace or experiencing the workplace. So I think that helping you, giving them that window into how women experience work is important. And then giving the really practical advice of, you know, here's what you can do differently. Here's what you can do to help breaking it down into the really real examples of here's, here's a way that you can, you know, just sometimes it's just very slightly changing how you talk or how you assign work, how you schedule meetings. Uh, This could make a huge difference for her in, in creating more positive workspace. So what would be a beginning thing that you would suggest for a man to do, or how do you start? What, what, what do you want them to notice or begin to change? 
I think what I would say first is start always checking your assumptions. Uh, you know, don't, don't assume that a woman, you know, has ambition, doesn't have ambition, wants a break, wants more stress, less stress, right? Like the, you know, the, there were so many times in my career where someone assumed like, oh, you're a new mother. So you won't want to go on that trip. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, after, even after I'd been CEO of the Princeton Review, when we sold it, you know, I, I had watched throughout my career, male CEOs of companies get sold and, you know, everybody was right around them the next day talking about you. Here's another, you know, what will your next CEO job be? Here's, here's a, you know, here's a company, there's a company. And I didn't get that from a lot of people. I got this assumption of, oh, well, that must've been a really hard job, a really exhausting job. I'm sure you'll want to take time now to be with your daughters. And, um, you know, those assumptions about, Mm -hmm. you know, about a a woman's intentions and goals and, or even just how she, how she manages her career and and manages her household. I think that I, I could distill it down to that. If you just check, check your assumptions when you're thinking about, you know, what you think a woman wants or doesn't want and, and just, try to always ask her, ask her what she thinks uh, instead instead of guessing. I, I think that's so good. And I'm, during COVID, uh, one of the uh, people that I was coaching was a director who had had a baby and had a five-year-old. They were at, in their house, her house, because they couldn't go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I heard men make comments like, well, she, you know, she's really, she's more involved in her kids than, her work and the reality yeah. was it wasn't true. I mean, she, of course, she was involved with her children, but she was one of the best directors in this company. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, even vis- visually seeing the child right, doesn't right. doesn't mean anything about how dedicated the woman is. And there's and there's context to that too. I mean, I think we, we those of us with with children at home over the past year, we we were all more involved with our kids <laughs> during the workday than than in a previous year. So I think that, that I know a lot of women had a hard time with with that as well. That you know there was this split perception where it was very embarrassing for a woman when her young child would you know run run across the the Zoom screen in a meeting, whereas it was you know. Sw- sweet and adorable for, you know, for a man when, when his young child ran through the screen, there was right. a lot of that double standard happening this year. Right. We still have a lot of double standards. Any uh, last suggestions or things that you want us to leave with? My last suggestion for any, whether you are a boss or you're, you know, you're working for someone and thinking about your relationship with the boss, I always like to remind people, just make sure that you like your boss, make sure that you like your employees. Like we, you know, we should all, we all spend a lot of time at work. Uh, it's an important part of who we all are and you should really enjoy talking with the person you work for or who works for you. And you should really get energy from their ideas. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, when people tell me I'm thinking about taking this job, how do I know if I should or not? I always start with, did you, do you like that person? Did you enjoy your conversation with them? What a I think great, that that yes. is important. Most, maybe the most important thing. That's great. A great way to end this conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, thank you. It was fun. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brahm, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. 
If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrom.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.